morning. And as I mentioned, they fit perfectly in with the message this morning from Jonah chapter 3. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for providing it to us in so many forms that we can easily access it. We have more access to the gospel than any previous generation by exponential amounts. We can pull it up on our phones and our computers and even paper Bibles. And Lord, everyone in this room probably has access quickly to a Bible. But Lord, sometimes with that, we become apathetic. Let us realize, Lord, the great cost that has been paid that we may have this Bible and have it easily accessible. And we thank you, Lord, for people that have dedicated their whole lives to making sure that people have copies of it, people like the Gideons, people like Wycliffe, Luther, who translated it to German, and many others, Lord. You sent them on ahead of us so that we'd have this easy access to your word. Now, Lord, as we hear it preached and we learn it, may we not take it for granted. And may we rejoice that we have it. And may we allow it to speak into our hearts this morning. May your Holy Spirit convict us of our sin and convince us of the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as I said, we're in chapter 3 again of Jonah. We've gone through chapters 1, chapters 2, and this little series is called Jonah and the Great Commission. This is part 3. And uh, you may have seen already on the screen there the, the byline or whatever is the God of second chances, but not endless chances, right? And there are some concepts I'm going to use to try to help us uh, understand this this morning. And um, they have computer terminology. There might be a few of you that isn't going to make as much sense to, but I think you'll get it as we go. But one of the things is rebooting the program. Another is the error message. And the third one is uninstalling and reinstalling. All right? So we're going to talk about those concepts along with what we learned from the book of Jonah. Rebooting the program, the error message, and uninstalling and reinstalling. So I thank God that he loves us enough to give us many chances to correct our ways and turn to him. As we look at the stories of the Bible, we see that over and over again, men and women of God failed, repented, went forward, failed, repented, went forward. The pattern was there for many in the Old Testament. The same is true today. Many of the Bible stories also show that these same men and women that, who we look to as heroes of the faith often needed more than a second chance. They needed a third, fourth, or more chances. In the entire Bible, the story is there that God does not desire that any perish, that he gives us many chances. Over and over again, when we mess up, he tells us he's waiting to forgive us if we only repent and turn to him. This is the good news I preach, that God loves us enough to accept us back when we repent. He will forgive, he will restore, and he will bring revival to our souls. And last week, what I said at the close of the message, I truly believe God wants to bring revival to us, to his people, to those who are already in Christ. God loves us so much, he doesn't want any to perish. 
He will go all out with every person to give them chances to come to him. He's always waiting for us to return to him. His arms open, ready to receive us again and again. He is the God of second chances. He is the lover of our soul. If we're in Christ, he is the one who provides us with every good thing. And as we saw last week, he's even generous enough to discipline us so that we do the right thing and come back to him. He does all the work. Our only job is to repent, ask forgiveness, and commit to following his ways. So many stories from Scripture tell us this is the case. God gives many chances to those who are trying to get it right. However, there are not infinite chances. At some point, people who ignore the pleadings of the Holy Spirit, who convicts sin, convicts people of sin and convinces them of truth according to Scripture, if they continually ignore that, people will find themselves with hardened hearts that no longer respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. There is good news, though. God's grace is far beyond ours. I have learned the hard way again and again that God has a way of softening the hearts of those that we have already given up on. And I'm ashamed to say that I've been guilty of giving up on people. And my brother is a good example of this. From his teenage years, he was rebellious. He became an alcoholic and got into trouble even with the law, got into fights, got DUIs. I'm not sure even all I know what he got into. And over time, more than one holiday was ruined and my family embarrassed by the police report in the local paper. I got so frustrated with my brother that I had given up on him ever getting it right. But thankfully, my parents did not give up so easily. They prayed and prayed, and many others did, that Rich would seek God and break the bondage of alcohol in his life. But again and again, the demon of alcoholism brought him back into that terrible lifestyle. And again and again, I would hear reports of his troubles. And again and again, I would be angry with him for not getting things right. And I was angry of how hard this was for my parents. And I was angry because I just didn't quite understand at that point the power of addiction. And my brother went to treatment once as ordered by a judge, and it didn't work. Another time, he went to the Faith-Based Teen Challenge Program in Brookings, South Dakota. And it's a 12-month program. He walked out around month nine, thinking he had beaten the alcohol. And soon he went back with his old friends. And finally, after a high-speed chase, had his fifth DUI. And that landed him in prison in Jamestown, North Dakota. And there he was brutally beaten by another inmate. And it was devastating to our family. And I felt sort of vindicated that I'd been right all along, that he would never get it right. But he got out of prison and went back to Teen Challenge, this time in Mandan, North Dakota, and I was still skeptical. I visited, my parents visited, we'd hear good reports, I was still skeptical. But Rich stayed in the program, radically changed by the power of faith in Jesus Christ, and broke free of the alcohol. He finally had stopped his excuses and took responsibility, and when that happened, God did a mighty work in him. And 15 years ago, Janelle and I got a call in the middle of the night it was my dad telling me that my brother Rich had fallen off of a radio tower from about 85 feet that he was working on and died. And Rich and I, since he got saved, we had been trying to work on our relationship. It was hard. It was strained. For years, we had barely talked, and we had little in common other than our childhood. But I truly believe we were both desiring a better relationship. But the phone calls were kind of 
strained because we didn't even know what to say to each other. We'd had that much of a separation over the years. We will have a great relationship someday. And when we do, it will be when life really begins, when we are together with Jesus, and I look forward to that. But my point is this. We all know someone who has had many chances and cannot seem to get it right. We may be frustrated and give up, but God keeps pursuing. We must not give up on anyone. But my message this morning is not only to tell you not to give up hope for someone you know, it's not to give up hope for yourself. So let's look at Jonah and see what happened when he took his second chance and brought God's warning to Nineveh. There are those three points we're going to be looking at, rebooting the program and the error message and uninstalling and reinstalling. But first, let's look at rebooting the program. Verses 1 through 4 of chapter 3, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Remember, this is just after he got vomited back up on the land. Isn't that a nice terminology to use? Um, and, uh, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against, the mes- against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So, talking about computers a little bit. Now, they've improved quite a bit over the years, but still we sometimes experience a glitch. We just were talking about the whole uh, YouTube system and how we got all these systems working together back there to try to get our, our video out. A screen might freeze up. There will be some kind of a spinning globe or moving line that tells us, well, something's happening, it looks like, and we wait. We take a break, we come back, the thing is still stuck, and finally we reboot the program. And for some machines, this means just forcing the, pro- the problem program closed and reopening it. And for other machines, it means shutting the entire machine down and restarting. But when something goes wrong, we need to reboot. Well, Jonah had a big problem with his prophetic program. He, it got stuck. He was not getting anywhere, and he needed a reboot. And God, in his graciousness, gave Jonah a reboot. It was drastic measures, to be sure, But eventually Jonah realized that he was wrong, and as we saw last week, he repented. And as long as Jonah was willing to try again, God was willing to give him a second chance. And as long as we are willing to try again, God will give us a second chance as well. But we often need a reboot on our spiritual journey. We get off the path. We stop doing what's right. We start doing what's wrong. Even as Paul talks about that struggle in Romans chapter 7, if we tell God we're sorry and we ask for his help, he's delighted to help. If we ask him to forgive, he's delighted to forgive. If we ask for his peace, he's delighted to bring it. If we ask for his strength, he will provide it. And if we ask for wisdom, he will give it. Our God is a God of second chances. The next point, then, is the error message. So when we are working on a computer, we dread getting the error message. Error messages have to be dealt with. Error messages interrupt whatever we are doing and force us to take note. Error messages can be a pain in the neck, but they are given for a good reason. We must take action to prevent a disaster. One error message I used to get was I would 
I used a note program, and if I was closing the program I take notes on and, and I hadn't saved the work, I would get an error message. Before I can close the program, I have to take an action. I either need to save the note or delete it. But what if I never got that message? What if I was never alerted to the fact that I was about to destroy many hours of hard work and study with the click of a mouse? Well, I can tell you I would be very frustrated without that message. As frustrating as the error message can be, dealing with the error message can prevent us from going through something very difficult and very painful. But what happens if I choose to ignore the error message? Well, then I may as well have never had the error message in the first place. Error messages are there to help us so we don't ignore something or foolishly continue doing something that will be a costly mistake in the long run. Cars have error messages as well. These error messages can keep us from ruining our car sometimes. A temperature warning ignored might mean your engine overheats and destroys itself. An oil pressure warning ignored could mean the engine's out of oil or continuing to drive it will result in another disaster. A brake warning ignored could lead to a serious accident. A tire pressure warning ignored could lead to a blowout and rollover or worse. Error messages warn us of potential problems ahead. The same is true of God's warning messages, such as he gave through the prophets. So let's see what Jonah's error message was and the good that came because it was heeded. And we're going to pick up now at verse 3 again. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fear. God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger, that, so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them, and He did not do it. The air message was pretty strong, wasn't it? Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, it's pretty clear that the Hebrew word used for overthrown was exactly what it was intended, but when we do a word study, we find something really interesting. The, this word in Hebrew, which I'm not going to attempt to pronounce, it's a word that can be translated differently. Here it's translated overthrown, in other places overturned or simply turned, was Nineveh turned. There are more possibilities. The word can also mean converted or become or change. Just as in our language, words have multiple meanings sometimes, the same is true here. The translation in the Bible is probably accurate for what was meant, that Nineveh would be overthrown, perhaps by invading forces, perhaps by natural disaster, but the response of Nineveh changes the outcome. And what really happens is that they are turned or converted, but at least repentant and willing 
to listen. They, they might not have been converted fully to worshiping Yahweh, but they were at least listening enough to try to prevent this disaster. The people believed God. The king and the nobles decreed that everyone, man and beast, should be covered with sackcloth, which is a sign of remorse or repentance. They were too fast, even from water. This is a sign that they took Jonah's proclamation quite seriously, and the result of this is that God relented. This is not a change of mind, as some have said. People have argued from this and other passages of Scripture where God had promised punishment and relented because of the repentance of people, that this means God changes his mind. And that's not quite the correct way to look at this. God's very nature is unchanging, but part of that unchanging nature is the love and grace he shows to those who seek him. So here and in other places, God gives a second chance. So think of it this way. If a parent tells their child that they're not going to the park because they've been misbehaving, and the child shows signs of true sorrow for their behavior and apologizes and starts behaving the right way, is the parent now a liar if they decide to take them to the park? No. The parent's showing grace. And that is how it is with God. He shows us grace. The final point is uninstalling and reinstalling and sometimes a computer is just not working right no matter what we do it has a glitch so we uninstall the program and then reinstall it or in some cases they reinstall the entire operating system and reinstall it and i'm not sure if anyone knows why that works but sometimes it does it's the same program same computer but we need to uninstall and reinstall it so what does that have to do with anything well sometimes we need to go back to the start of things on a personal level, we need to uninstall and reinstall by going back and remembering when we first put faith in Jesus Christ. We sometimes need to put away all the doctrine and theology just for a moment and just remember the saving grace of God through Jesus Christ. And after refreshing ourselves and having the joy of our salvation restored as David asked God to do, we also need to study God's word so that we do have right doctrine and right theology. That first step we took of faith was because of a simple understanding of God's salvation. We accepted it, and we had great joy in that moment of feeling the burden of sin we each had carried lifted off of us. But over the years, we can get caught up in so many things that we forget to have that simple joy we should have every day. The joy of the Lord. When we take a moment to reflect on all he has done, this should give us great joy, yet so many times Christians seem to lack joy. They seem to have completely forgotten how lost they were and how much they needed Christ. If we don't live in daily reflection of our need for a Savior, even though we may have put our faith in him years ago, then we lose focus on the very thing we should sense the most urgency about, which is reaching the lost. It's a little bit like getting a brand new car. I don't know if you've ever been this way for me when I've gotten a new car or even a new car to me. You're excited about it, right? And you spend time maybe just sitting in there for a little while trying to set the clock, right? Some of these newer cars, you don't even have to do that. But you're trying to figure out what all the buttons are for. You're seeing what all the compartments are for. You spend time cleaning and waxing and vacuuming, and some years later when the car is familiar, it doesn't get the same amount of love from the owner. Sometimes our faith becomes so familiar 
that we just need to take a moment and reflect on how much we need a Savior. We also are to grow and mature in our understanding and our desire to serve Him better, to live a holy life better. We need to have that balance. Sometimes people think that the more you learn about Scripture and study the history of the church and the Bible, that you will forget about your first love, your Savior. Well, this is certainly possible. I find the opposite to be true if one can keep their heart and head right. The more I learn about Scripture, the more I want to learn. The more time I spend studying Scripture, the more I marvel at God's love, revealed through history, through His Holy Word. We must be a people who find a balance between having the joy that comes with a simple understanding of God's salvation while at the same time growing and maturing in our faith. Chapter 3 of Jonah reveals an awesome example of how an entire people believed and took action when the prophet spoke. Nowhere else in Scripture or any time in history that I've ever heard of has an entire city taken so seriously the message of the prophet. Certainly the gospel continues to change cities and even countries today, but I am not aware of any such response as the response of Nineveh. From the leadership down, Everyone showed remorse, and God showed everyone his grace. And we're reminded then of the graciousness of repeated forgiveness that God grants to those he loves. And in reflecting on his great graciousness towards us who again and again sin and sin and must keep coming back to him for forgiveness, when we reflect on ourselves before we ever believed unto salvation in Jesus, how many times we were not killed. I saw this, a video this week of such blasphemy. A man dressed up as a Japanese geisha and leading the so-called call to worship in a so-called Christian church as they had their Pride Month celebration. I think to myself when I see something like that, how can God even allow the second syllable to come out of the mouth of such a blasphemer? And yet, when we, the church, observe the depravity outside the church, let us remember the depravity that is sometimes inside the church and how we ourselves must constantly strive to holiness and purity before God. You see, where we allow sin in our own lives, we also blaspheme the name. We also offend God. And before we all came to Christ, we were no better off than those we see as exceedingly sinful today, for we were all headed to the same hell they are headed for, but for the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached to us and the Holy Spirit of God quickening our spirits to believe. Paul taught the church that before knowing Christ, we were separated from Christ. We were alienated. Paul wrote to the church reminding them of what sinfulness looks like. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9, and 10, he said, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And the church said, Amen! How sinful is that world out there? I see it, it disgusts me. I cannot even believe how bad things have gotten. I cannot fathom how people could be so depraved. And Paul says, hold on. Verse 11, and such were some of you but you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the lord jesus christ and by the spirit of our god such 
were some of you. Ephesians 2, 1 and 3 says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You were dead. You once walked that way. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Ephesians 5.8 says, At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So you were darkness. Colossians 3.5 and 7 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And the church says, Amen. And then Paul says, And these two, you once walked when you were living in them. You have tendencies towards sin. You once walked into these sins, Paul is saying to the church. Titus 3.3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. We ourselves. Every person who now identifies as in Christ was once not in Christ. We were in our vile sin, heading towards eternal destruction, eternal damnation, eternal hell. And we were heading there quite happily and willingly. But those in Christ had already been marked out by God to be his. And in our sin, in our heading in the opposite direction of God, in our rebellion against him, in our willful and vile nature, he intervened. How did he intervene? Well, of course, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And yet God ordained that while, on the, while the cross indeed saves, it only saves those who believe. And only those who hear can believe. I know I used this passage last week, but it still applies this week as well. Romans 10, 11 through 14, or actually through 15. I guarantee that our missionaries knew this verse when they went out. The scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So God ordained his salvation in this way. Jesus went to the cross and took upon himself all of our sin. Then God ordained the way of salvation. If you are in Christ, then you are in Christ because God, first of all, foreordained it. Romans 8, 28. We know that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. If you are in Christ, it is because God determined before the foundations of the earth were laid that you would be one of his. And his method for bringing each of us to Christ was by his eternal word, the gospel, to be presented to us. And by his Holy Spirit, he quickened our spirits to believe. He does it through preaching. He does it through the proclamation of the gospel. Not you smiling at folks and being nice. If you are truly in Christ, it's not because some Christian was nice to you once. It is because they shared the gospel with you. If God in his gracious plan has saved you, he did it through his word, Romans 10, 17, because faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If God gave this gift to you, it was because he loved you before the foundations of the earth, but there is a secondary purpose that he gave you the truth of the gospel, that he gave you the gift of faith to believe, and that is so that you would share it with others. What if the person who shared Christ with you had not done so? Did you grow up in the faith? What if your parents had not taught you the gospel? What if no one had cared enough to share it with you? And can we selfishly keep this gift to ourselves? Ought we not to share it with others? Do we quake at the thought of sharing? Where can we get the boldness to share? I wonder. When the church was just beginning, the people of the church were being hunted down, arrested, and sometimes beaten or killed. We are concerned about cancel culture today and some of the dynamics in our world, but the cancel culture of the early church was much more extreme. We think the world is hostile to Christ today. In the early church, it was just as bad or worse. What did the believers pray for during these times of extreme stress? They did not pray for their own safety. They prayed for boldness. Acts 4, 23-31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord... Look upon their threats and grant to your servants safety? No. They prayed, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The believers asked for boldness. And God answered their prayer. And by the way, it takes a little boldness to pray for boldness. Because he might just answer that prayer. 
Some people think the most important thing the Holy Spirit does for believers is speaking in tongues or some other physical manifestation. I would say that Scripture teaches us that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not for us to feel a little closer to God or be able to display some merits of being filled, but rather the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, is to give us power for service to Him, including the power and the boldness to share Christ. May we ask God together to grant us this boldness. Let's pray. Lord, we've heard your word this morning. And for various reasons, probably every person in this room at one time has shirked the responsibility of sharing Christ. For this we repent, and for this we're ashamed. God, we could have all kinds of excuses why we haven't obeyed your word on this. But there are no excuses. We lack boldness. And Lord, we ask for your boldness. Help us to be bold enough to speak the truth of Christ. Lord, help us to remember that you ordained someone to share the gospel with us. You used a person. to bring your glory into our lives through the gospel. May we not shirk our responsibility to share the gospel. Lord, may it be said of Oasis Church that that church is full of people, not just of the word, who study the word and try to apply it and live it out and walk in a manner where they're calling. But Lord, add to that, Lord, may the people of Oasis be known as those who share the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world around them. May you grant us the boldness. Lord, if anyone here, including me, has lacked any boldness or enthusiasm in sharing the gospel, would you grant us, Lord, the answer to this prayer that we, like those early disciples, would greatly desire that you grant us boldness to speak. And may your Holy Spirit guide, guide us and empower us to do the work of your service. In Jesus' name.